Hey everyone, again, happy Easter. Welcome again to Orangecrest Community Church. I'm Josh De La Rosa, the pastor of Orangecrest, and we are here actually in my home right now. We started this church about 12 years ago and sort of flashing back now, and we're back here in my home uh, since really for several weeks now. We haven't been able to worship in our usual location. You saw some video of where we typically meet. Uh, we have a gymnasium we use, we use a banquet room and some other classrooms, and we sort of spread out across the Orange Terrace Community Center. But we really have made a shift, and this uh, weekend, actually, we had to make another transition for this service in order to comply with our county health officer's most recent mandates. And so we're here in my home with just my family and my dog. And so anyway, welcome to worship at OCC. Something I know that is really true for all of us is that this year, life has changed drastically. The threat of COVID-19 is still really looming. Here in California, we've been sheltering in place since March the 19th, so it's been over three weeks now, and we're just continuing on with this. We're required to, if we leave our home, put on a face mask anytime we leave, and really instructed only to leave for essential purposes. Uh, what a truly unique time we're living in. And not only that, it's a heart-wrenching time. There are many people struggling and sick right now. In fact, this Easter is going to be a very, very difficult Easter for some. This may be the first Easter people uh, are, are missing the people they were close to who have already passed away from this. And so we just have a lot to be in prayer for. I know for all of us, this Easter just looks very, very different. Typically for me, after Easter service, I would pack up my family, get in the car, and just sort of head to be with uh, some some family for Easter dinner. And I bet that you also had some traditions of your own that now you've had to shift gears. This just looks different. And for us as a church, this day, Easter, is usually the largest day of the year as we gather. And I bet this year it still will be. But our gathering is just going to look very, very different. We're in homes. Uh, we're, we're not in the typical worship gathering for us, but really around the world, people have been worshiping in homes for centuries. And so I hope that you will, will worship and be able to focus your heart this morning. So I just want to welcome you from wherever you're logging in from. Maybe you're logging in because a neighbor uh, encouraged you to check out our church online. Or maybe you drove down the street and you saw a yard sign. We have many uh, scattered throughout this community. Or maybe you saw a giant 15-foot banner that is hung on a piece of property on Alessandro and Glen Haven. We recently purchased uh, uh, 5.3 acres here in, in Riverside. and So we hung up a huge banner and directed people to our website. Or, or maybe you saw a Google ad or a Facebook ad that led, that led you here. Or a friend possibly shared a social media post with you. How, however you heard about our church, we just want to say welcome. What I love about this online format is I know that all of you know how to just make yourself right at home this morning. Uh, so just get comfortable. I'm wearing my slippers this morning. Uh, I hope that through this morning, God himself will speak to you in your heart as we share our time together. We do hope to meet you someday in person when this is all over because we really deeply care about the people in this region. We care about our community, our city. We care about Southern California and our country and the rest of the world. And so we're praying continually uh, for God's help, for his comfort. In fact, let's pause right now and pray together. Would you join me? 
Father, we, we thank you for a time to worship here on Easter Sunday. We, we lift up our community. We lift up this part of Southern California. We lift up the world right now to you, God. People are uh, in struggling with fear and panic and anxiety. Some are sick right now and hurting. Some uh, are uh, watching family members go through this. Or for those that can't even be close to their loved ones who are suffering with this, there's just, this is just a difficult, difficult time. For some people, uh, this disease uh, will will just uh, will really uh, bring grief and tremendous difficulty for families. And so, Father, we just lift up all the people that need your comfort right now. Father, we also pray for our first responders, for our all the essential workers who are helping to keep our communities moving forward. We also lift up the many healthcare workers who are on the front line of of care, providing uh, tests. Uh, helping to um, bring people back uh, to uh, strong health. And God, we just lift them up. We pray for energy and strength, and we pray you'd encourage them and supply for all their needs right now. And Lord, we also just take a moment to just say thank you. Thank you for being present with us. Thank you for going through this, walking through this with us, and for helping us, Lord. And we ask you to speak to us here and now as we as we engage together and as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're starting a brand new series of messages called This Changes Everything. We've titled it This Changes Everything because landmark moments that we experience during our lifetime, they just leave a deep impression on us. They leave a mark on us. And this year and this crisis is one of those. Another one was 9-11. had a major impact here in America. If you were alive then you remember where you were when you heard the news. Uh, for me, I was actually driving on the freeway, on the 10 freeway here in Southern California, and I remember hearing the news on the radio about the first plane that crashed into the Trade Center. And then I arrived at work and huddled in a conference room and saw the second plane, and it was just a tragic, tragic course of events. And really, those attacks were a watershed moment. It launched our country into a war on terror. And now, for all of us, 2020 has impacted our story as well. This has been a very, very strange season with really shutting down, slowing life down, socially distancing, and and really scouring for supplies in stores. And for some, it'll be remembered uh, with a sad, deep grief and loss. And all of it is really still unfolding right now. And at this point... It really has been about a month where this virus has been sweeping through our country, but it's been several months now as we've seen uh, COVID-19 sweep across the globe. And we have been told, really by the world around us, that God is irrelevant. We've, We've pretty much heard from the world that God is out of the picture. He's irrelevant. He's out of touch. But it's really in times like these that we start reaching out to Him. Here's, here's a chart, actually, that, that highlights this. This, is a, this was a USC study uh, conducted in the middle of March, just a month ago, showing how U.S. Uh, uh, citizens are responding to the virus. And so take a look at this chart titled Eat, Pray, and Wash. This chart just shows what Americans did in the beginning of, of COVID-19 and the outbreak here in the U.S. 50% of us had prayed. But that was way back in mid-March. So I really predict that the number really has risen and risen as this crisis continues uh, to spread. In fact, maybe 
that's what has sparked your willingness to log on to church with us this morning. Maybe this morning you're actually reaching out to God and you're crying out to God maybe right now. You're maybe trying to really understand what it even looks like to know God personally. You see, our current culture says that God is irrelevant from day to day. But I'm not sure that in practice we actually live that way. We're told by the world at large that that people are just more complex animals. We're actually taught in our schools nowadays that everything that exists just sort of came about by accident through evolutionary process. But does that really align with our experience? It actually seems that people everywhere are looking for meaning. If we're just a complex animal, then we're just a mix of instincts and impulses, and our whole personal story really has no meaning. But there's something inside of our hearts that screams against that thought. And it appears that many are turning to God right now at this moment of this crisis. Here's another thing. I know that some of you were in a crisis long before COVID-19 came around. Maybe you have been in a crisis because of loneliness. You know, there's people all around you, but you just, you're lacking any real or deep connection right now, and you're struggling with loneliness. Maybe there's some of you that are just empty, and, and there's it's almost like there's a hole in your life, and you're trying to fill that void with pleasure, with people, with relationships, maybe with substances or more purchases, but the more that you try to stuff into your life, you recognize it's just not doing it. It's not enough. It's not satisfying. And I'm sure some of you, maybe actually you'd say, I'm hiding. There's stuff maybe in, in your life. Maybe there's another side of you, a hidden, a hidden secret or a hidden pattern that you're trying to hide from others. And you're wearing a mask, but inside you couldn't bear if others knew what truly was going on inside of you. Whoever you are, And whatever is going on with you right now, I want you to know that there is a God who is right there with you. He loves you and he is pursuing you. We're going to talk about that this morning. You know, if the God of the Bible was real, if the God that we learn about in here was real, wouldn't you want to know that? If you could have confidence, if you could have assurance of the hope that God offers, wouldn't you want that? I imagine that right now most of us are open to seeking to know God and the hope that flows from him. For some, it's all because the fear of death, the fear of illness. This whole unseen virus has really caused many to realize just how fragile and vulnerable we all really are. But for others, it's it's because you've got some extra time on your hands right now and you're considering eternal matters. You're thinking, what if I were to catch this. What if I were to face the creator? What would I say? How would I, how could I approach God? And so maybe right now you have issues of purpose and meaning and questions that are flooding your mind. If you're not yet a Christ follower, you might right now be investigating Jesus now more than ever. And it's because God uses our questions. He uses our fears, our concerns, and even our brokenness to draw us to himself. And so today's an important day because Easter is the day that we celebrate the good news that Christ followers have carried since the time when Jesus was executed on a cross and rose again from the grave. In fact, the resurrection is compelling evidence that God himself is real and that Jesus is God. 
the resurrection. This is powerful, compelling evidence. In 1 Corinthians, it's a, it's a book in the New Testament, and that's the second part of the Bible. A church leader named Paul, he summarizes the core of the Christian message in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then he starts laying out the most compelling evidence for the resurrection. And the evidence is this. It's the fact that Jesus appeared to so many people after he was crucified and was buried in a tomb. He, was, he showed himself. He appeared. His resurrection is the compelling evidence. Take a look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one, starting verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, that's the good news, that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Now, that's a key phrase right there. They're standing on the good news. This is, this is what they're standing on. And then verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's just, in those two verses, reinforcing a point about uh, what they're standing on, what they're believing in. You see, no one wants to be standing on shaky ground. You want a solid foundation in life. What a waste to live your whole life on a faulty foundation, on a shaky on a shaky foundation. So Paul, this church leader, he is reminding the church of the foundation, the very beliefs that they are standing on. What are you standing on today? What, what are you counting on to carry you through? What are you believing is really going to hold you up not just in this life but for eternity you know some people try to live a good and moral life and they might say you know i'm standing on morality i'm trying to be a good person i'm trying to in my good works work my way to god well that's actually not how it works others are trying to acquire you know this and that and acquire more and more stuff aiming to just secure their lives with wealth and with possessions And so Paul, he's writing to this early group of Christians. He's saying, here's the core message of Christianity. Let me remind you of what you're standing firm on, because this is the most compelling evidence. Take a look. Verse 3. Here's the message they're standing. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Right there. Let's pause. That you know, this is our core problem in life. It's sin. And Paul is saying Christ died to deal with our core problem, with the problem of sin. Sin is why everything in this world is broken. In the Garden of Eden, the very first man and woman, their names were Adam and Eve, they rebelled. They sinned against God. And then they blamed, they blamed each other. They blame shifted. You know, Adam was blaming Eve and Eve was blaming the serpent, but they sinned and this act of rebellion brought a curse upon all humanity. And then the whole world has come under that curse. No longer could Adam and Eve live forever in paradise with God, but now their bodies began to die. They were banished from the Garden of Eden and God's presence and sin marred all creation. And then everyone has followed suit, meaning You and I, we've all followed suit. The Bible quite pointedly describes it in this way. Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's like there's this mark of living that God set out, and we all miss that mark. We've all sinned against God. We've all uh, rebelled from God's plan 
And it goes from bad to worse. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. Now what that means is that our life of sin cuts us off, separates us from God, both here and now and on into eternity. And to be eternally separated from God is hell. And that's not, it's not just a condition, but hell is actually a real place of eternal existence. So let's continue with that verse. Romans 6.23, it, it goes on, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's really good news. It doesn't just end with the penalty of our sin, but the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, as a free gift to unlock us from the penalty, the power, and the very presence of sin. So let's flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Again, just to recap, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, meaning that he really did die, and he was put in a tomb, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, so he starts appearing to people. Cephas is Peter. Then to the twelve, that's the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now Paul writes that because his point there is, hey, if you don't believe that Jesus really did rise, there was 500 people at one point that saw him. Go and check. Some of them are still alive. Though, he says, some have fallen asleep. Some had actually passed away at this point. But verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, some of the highlights from this, essentially, we need to understand, real people saw Jesus die and then rise from the dead. Real people. A man like Peter. Peter was a fisherman. There's an interesting uh, show that, that was produced. It's, it's available in the app store. It's called The Chosen. But, you know, I've enjoyed watching this with my family and seeing uh, the story, the, the possible storyline of who Peter would have been. What was his life before Jesus chose him and called him to follow him? But at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, uh, Jesus called Peter to follow him. And Peter, he left his fishing nets and he chose to follow Christ. And Peter, he waffled during, his, during Jesus's trial and crucifixion. He got, he got sort of shaky in the knees and he, was, he got nervous that he would be uh, arrested because, and maybe also put on trial because he had been seen with Jesus and people knew that. And so he did waffle, but he became convinced that Jesus was truly God after he saw Jesus alive. Because Jesus had been executed on a cross and when Peter saw him in the flesh, in bodily form, he knew, wow, this really was God. There's also another person that saw him that's listed in that passage. Paul highlights James, the half-brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus. Now, it's interesting to think about this one because James grew up with Jesus. I wonder what he thought the very first time his big brother claimed to be God. He probably, it probably didn't make sense to James initially. I mean, how would you respond if your brother made that same claim? But just take a moment and think about how compelling the evidence is for the resurrection that James followed Jesus to his own death. James was martyred by stoning. 
And the stories of these men and the first women to follow Jesus were just the beginning of the Christian movement. And that movement continues in a powerful way even today. In fact, I've asked a few people from our church to share just their stories of, of what their lives were like. How would they summarize what their life was like before they knew Christ? And then what are some of the changes that Jesus and following Jesus has really made in their day-to-day life? So listen to their stories. Before becoming a Christian, I'd say I really kind of just lived my life for myself and the next adventure. Very similarly, I would say I was very interested in what would best suit me, very me, myself, and I. You know, before following Christ, I primarily lived to avoid pain. And since I decided to give my life to Christ, I've learned that even the most painful and difficult circumstances can really be used to help you relate better to other people. So uh, before I became a Christ follower, I was mostly focused, I think, on material things, um, things that I thought would make me happy or or I thought would bring me satisfaction. For me, it was titles at work. Um, I love to travel, so planning trips and traveling, and then my own personal family. Before Christ, I was very focused on meeting markers, um, like checking off boxes of like, you know, career and children and husband. Um, but there still was this feeling of shallow to it, um, this like emptiness behind it. There wasn't, I didn't feel fulfilled. There wasn't, um, there wasn't a fulfillment in the achievements I was accomplishing. So um, knowing Jesus personally, um, the, the effect it's had on me is that I, um, I, I know now that the purpose of my life is not to glorify myself and, and make myself happy. It's really to glorify God and to do things that are, are pleasing to him. Um, and part of that includes the idea of embracing the, the, the concept of sacrificial love and, and putting um, other people's um, happiness and welfare and, um, and and needs above my own. Um, the death of my mother in 2008 is no longer something that alienates me from other people, but really helps me draw closer to them. Um, when I know someone else who experiences a loss of death of a loved one or a loved one is really sick, I think that my circumstances and my experiences really help me to to understand what that person might be going through and be a, a listening ear for them. I'd say that the number one change I've seen in my life since becoming a Christian is prior to being a Christian, I really pushed everybody away. Um, I didn't want any kind of community or family. Um, and since becoming a Christ follower, my family has grown not only internally with my own family, but my Christ family has grown and I've really grown a sense of community. But also, I have a sense of hope, a real sense of hope. Um, God promises there's more than this, um, what's here on earth, and that we, we won't always be in fear and be in pain. You know, in times like these, we need hope. And we need confidence that someone is in control when things are chaotic. And if you're unsure about what it really means to follow Christ personally, we're actually putting together a special 
a virtual event just for you. It's called the Discovering Faith virtual event. And you can get more of your question, questions answered about how to follow Christ, what it really means. We want to clarify that to you. And we want you to have the same hope and the same assurance uh, that, that those people were sharing and even that those earliest Christ followers in the first century had. You can sign up for that from our website. And, you know, we're going to look at, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, that same author who wrote in 1 Corinthians, he wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 8, and he writes about the difference that Christ makes in very, very practical ways. And so let's turn there. Romans chapter 8, very powerful chapter in the Bible. And And as we wrap up, I really want to highlight from a few parts of this chapter, the difference it makes when we yield our lives to follow Jesus. So the first thing is this. When I yield my life to follow Christ, I find freedom from guilt and shame. We find this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It reads, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is huge. This is huge. Condemnation it means to judge someone guilty. And those who yield their life to Christ are declared not guilty. You know, I think that is, that is that's such great news. If you're like me, there are choices that you've made in your life that are really hard to forget. Maybe you know in your head, intellectually, intellectually that Jesus, that God has forgiven you, but it's maybe hard for you to accept his forgiveness. And when we hold on to shame and condemnation and guilty thoughts we're basically telling jesus hey what you did on the cross it just wasn't good enough because we keep getting beaten up by condemnation but what if today was the day that you finally got past your past in christ you can remind yourself if you yield your life to christ for those of you who have already done that you can remind yourself i'm fully forgiven there is therefore now no condemnation in christ jesus that is great news. Also, when I, when I yield my life to Christ, I have a hopeful future. If we look later on in this chapter, in verse 24 and 25, we hear about this. Paul writes, For in this hope we were saved. In this hope. We have a hope that, that is beyond just the here and now. He's referring to our future home in heaven. In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When I yield to Jesus, I have hope for living because I know that this whole world and our condition here in this world is not the end of the story. You see, one day you will breathe your last breath on this earth. And if you yield your life to Jesus Christ while on earth, then you'll open your eyes in the presence of God and you'll be with him for all eternity. Free from sin, free from death, free from the grave, free from sickness and illness and the process of dying. And you'll be secure for all eternity. And so because of the promise of heaven, we have hope here and now. The resurrection gives us that hope. Jesus rose, we'll rise again. Finally, if I yield my life to Christ, then I see life differently. My whole perspective changes. I see life from a new angle. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. God uses everything for the ultimate good of those who love God. He doesn't waste a thing in life. In the coming weeks, we're actually going to be looking at how Jesus' resurrection actually changes, changes your happiness, your expectations, and even discouragement. It can change all those things which really, really uh, affect our, our, you know, we, we spend a lot of time thinking and seeing and viewing life from a very worldly perspective. And we're going to talk about how the resurrection can impact those things. Because we're not dependent on our circumstances for hope in this life if we follow Jesus. Paul continues, and I just want to read this because it's a very, very hopeful passage of Scripture. Starting in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Against God, those that God has chosen and those who have responded to God choosing them, to, to Christ's followers. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has bridged the gap that stood because of our sin between us and our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is interceding for us. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that means trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then verse 36 references... In Old Testament verse, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day, all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, no disease, no economic downturn, no loneliness, no depression, no spiritual forces, no darkness will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have that love, you're secure in that. Now, God gives hope, is what we're hearing over and over, in the midst of a global war against a virus. COVID-19 certainly has changed many things about our world, but the good news is that Jesus Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection offer power and hope for us in the midst of even this most challenging time. If you're not yet a Christ follower, I'd like to encourage you to weigh the evidence for the resurrection. Lee Strobel, was, he's a man who has written uh, a handful of books that help you weigh out the evidence. Uh, you can actually listen to The Case for Easter, which, which basically lays out uh, the compelling evidence and the historicity of the resurrection. Now, Strobel himself was an atheistic courtroom journalist who, who set out to basically prove that Jesus was a fake. And in, in, in doing the research, he ended up giving his life to follow Jesus. Here's an interview where Lee Strobel gives four proofs of the resurrection. Take, take a look. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead 
after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludeman says historically it's indisputable that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now they're conceding the tomb's empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue, and that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together and you have a really good case for Easter. Now I found that really helpful. A movie about Lee Strobel's life actually and his investigation of Christianity and Christ's resurrection was released in 2017. It's just called The Case for Christ. But that movie is actually available on Amazon for rent. You can also find that on Netflix for immediate viewing. I want to encourage you. You've got some spare time right now. Make the most of that spare time to, to watch that. It'll be a strengthening thing for you if you're already a Christ follower to get, again, a clear picture of the faith that you're standing on. If you're investigating, watch that. Ask God to, to give you an open mind as you process uh, that information on the, the compelling evidence of the resurrection. Now, C.S. Lewis, this man right here, he, he was the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and, and Mere Christianity, among other books and articles, he said this about Jesus. He wrote, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He's saying there's basically three options. Jesus either knew that his claims were false and deliberately misrepresented himself, in which case Jesus would have been a liar. Or Jesus didn't know that his claims were false and he was delusional in his mind, in which case Jesus would have been a lunatic. Or the third option really is his claims were true and Jesus is Lord, which really leads us back to just wrestling with the claims and studying the evidence for ourselves. C.S. Lewis, he also wrote this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. In reality, no decision is more important than deciding for yourself 
whether Jesus really did rise from death. And so I want to wrap up this morning's message and invite you to take a next step. The first one I want to encourage you to consider taking, if you're ready this morning, is to give your life to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're a person that's sitting right now and and you could agree with these statements and you'd say, I believe that Jesus is God and I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose from death. That's the first thing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is God himself? He died for you. He hung on a cross. He was buried in the ground. But then three days later, he rose from death. If you if you would say, I agree, I believe that. Also, if you would say, I admit that I'm a sinner. Meaning, I, I've lived my life independent from God. I've, I've done my own thing. I've called the shots in my life. I've been in the driver's seat controlling my life. And I just admit that. I admit I'm a sinner. And then also, if you could say, I agree to turn away from my sin and to now turn towards God. I was going one way and I'm deciding to turn towards God and go his way. And then fourth, if you'd say, I'm ready to yield my life to follow Jesus as Lord. I'm ready today to yield control. I want Jesus to lead me from this point forward. And then fifth, if you could say, I accept God's free gift of eternal life today. Meaning you didn't earn it. It's a gift of grace. You didn't work for it. It's God's gift. But it's not yours until you actually accept it. And so I'd like to invite you to respond to the gospel right now. Those those statements really summarize uh, the core message of Christianity and what it means to become a Christian. So if you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to make that decision, you can go ahead and click the button on your screen that, that says raise hand. And that will immediately direct you to give us your contact information, and then we'll connect one of our staff members with you very soon. And we want to celebrate that decision with you. The second step I would encourage you to take is to further investigate what it means to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you're not yet ready to follow Christ, would you investigate further today? You can sign up for the Discovering Faith virtual event. Simply go to our website, orangecrestcc.org forward slash connect and, and sign up. These events are in the next few days. You can sign up and interact with some people and hear some more stories about people that have come to Christ and get more clarity about what it would really mean. Or part of that investigation might be that you just sense you need to watch that movie, The Case for Christ, or listen to the audible book of The Case for Christ or The Case for Easter. Don't let another Easter come and go without deciding what you believe about Jesus. And finally, this last next step is, will you share an invite? to next week's online message with a friend. Uh, We would love to have more people logging on next Sunday as we continue looking at the difference that Jesus Christ's resurrection makes in our lives. So thanks again for joining us for Easter service here at Orangecrest Community Church. Uh, Our family really misses you all. We love you all. We're praying for you all. Uh, We're asking God to bring comfort and help and protection through all of this uh, very difficult time. And Lord willing, we'll see you all again very soon. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for stirring our hearts, Lord, to either remember uh, the evidence of the resurrection and to be reminded of the faith that we're standing on or to investigate this for the first time. Lord, I pray for those that maybe you've spoken to this morning that are really on the fence and have not yet yielded their lives to Christ. We pray, Father, that, that you'd give them Uh, the clarity and the courage to say yes to you this morning, that today would be a new day 
in the course of their lives and that would be uh, that it would be a day that impacts all eternity for them. We thank you for uh, gathering us. We thank you for this uh, this opportunity to gather together online. We pray that uh, we would uh, consider those in our lives who need to hear the hope uh, that we've shared this morning. Lord, would you would you uh, nudge us, Lord, to share this message with others? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.